Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Nation with your host, Julia Campbell. I'm here today with Santiago Rosales. He is a queer disabled Chicano from Houston, Texas, who is grounded in the struggle for racial and economic justice. His organizing journey started at the University of Texas, where he advocated to improve the experiences of students of color and first-generation students. After college, Santiago worked at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, supporting state advocacy to protect and expand safety net programs. And in 2020, I can't wait to dive into this more, he organized bilingual field, digital, and constituency organizing programs for campaigns in Houston and Austin, Texas. And Santiago's focus at Act Blue is on supporting organizations that empower voters and fight voter suppression. And I love this little nugget that you gave me when I hosted Cause Camp. Outside of work, he's the stay-at-home dad of several plantitas. <laughs> <laughs> love that. What kind? Of a variety. I've got some succulents. I've got some tropical ones. I even started a garden this year, just all around plants. Yay. I have one and it's fake. It's from Ikea. Okay. So <laughs> I am like not, I don't have a green thumb at all. <laughs> yeah. I do not have a green, I do not have a green thumb in any way. Well, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to talk and, you know, just spread the word about digital fundraising a bit more. Yes, we need to do that. So I want to start really with your journey. I know you and I connected through Cause Camp, um, but how did you get involved with the work that you're doing now? Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. So as you mentioned, my organizing journey really started off in college and has for years been grounded in making sure, in working towards racial justice, economic justice in this country. And when I was working on campaigns last year, I saw that you know our organizations, whether that was nonprofits, whether that was our communities, made a really quick, but in many ways successful transition to digital work and building digital spaces, and really just recognizing the amazing work that lots of organizations did last year to support families in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the recession that we're still recovering from. I was really interested in supporting organizations that are doing that long-term work of supporting our families and communities. And just given my background in organizing and in election work, the place that felt most like home was going to be an organization like Act Blue, mm-hmm. where I could work hand-in-hand with organizations that are protecting our right to vote, our right to publicly talk about how we make our country better, and that are training the next generation of activists and leaders in our community. And so made the journey over to Act Blue and 
Nowadays, I get to work with organizations that are really, again, protecting our voices in our democracy and building that next generation of advocates and leaders. That's amazing work. I actually have a really kind of side note question. Nonprofits, I find, really struggled with the increased calls for racial and economic justice that happened in 2020 and continuing to happen. How do you advise clients that are not doing that work? Or how do you advise nonprofits that are not sort of in the midst of that work to still support that work and kind of amplify amplify those increased calls for justice? That's a very good question. I think it all comes down to being genuine in terms of where we are. I'll be the first to say that where I am right now in my journey of understanding equity and justice is not the same place I was five years ago, two years ago, even at the beginning of this year. It is something that each person should recognize as a learning journey Mm. that we as people have grown up in a society that hasn't always been equal. And so we have to unlearn things and learn ways to become more equitable. And so I think that's the first part, recognizing that it's a journey of learning and unlearning. And then the second thing is, and I'll mention this a little bit more in the context of ActBlue, because this has come up with some of the organizations we work with. But really sharing the microphone, passing the microphone Mm -hmm. to organizations that are leading this work is something that really took off last year in a way that was very organic and in a way that was very impactful. And it is a principle that nonprofits can carry forward both digitally, in person, uh, which is, you know, sharing the space, sharing the audiences that they have so that folks leading the work can talk about the ways that they see our society becoming more equitable. The sharing the mic. I love that. Sharing the stage, sharing the mic, passing the mic, elevating voices that have been disenfranchised and silenced. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. I think that it's, I love that you also said it's a learning journey. So some of my listeners might know I'm on the regional school committee here and we have a goal of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And people seem to think it's just something to kind of check off the the to-do list. Oh, we've got this consultant coming in. We've got this audit. We're doing this. We're doing this. And they're not understanding it's really work you have to do every single day and Mm -hmm. personally and professionally. So thank you for that. So you you worked in 2020 in the field, digitally, and with communities. So how has organizing and advocacy changed? in light of the pandemic and sort of where do you see it going in the future? That's a really good question. I think a way to to, to start to think about that is to recognize in part that some of the things that we did last year had already kind of existed. I got to work with a couple of activists in the disability community Mm -hmm. and with with conversations with them and, and collaborating with them, I noticed that, you know, virtual events accessible events was something that they were already working on, that they were already pioneering. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was the rest of the country, the rest of our our community started to catch up with some of the innovations that other groups had already started. I think the one thing that has changed in the field is really, though, an emphasis on community and long-term organizing. We saw last year a lot of organizations really place an emphasis on connecting with structurally excluded communities and making specific outreach to communities of color, disabled communities, working communities. And it was that intentionality and that specificity that became really impactful last year. It was also the recognition that 
we're all in this together, but we bring different strengths and different stories. And so kind of leveraging those different strengths at different times was an important change. I think though, as you might have experienced, as I'm sure your listeners have, mm-hmm. it was also just testing out new tools, trying things and seeing what stuck, seeing what worked. I think one of the things that I enjoyed about last year was that at some point people got tired of just monotonous Zoom meetings. And so they started incorporating art workshops, virtual concerts. They started innovating with how the Zoom layout was so that you could try to replicate the feel of a conference space or a variety of physical spaces. CosCamp was very similar to this. We had a platform where you know, we had a presentation, but when we went into breakout rooms, it was like you were sitting at a table with four or five other people. And so mm-hmm. you had some of that intimacy that you would at, a, at an in-person event, but then still leverage the fact that we were in different parts of the country participating at the same time. Do you think that the spirit of innovation will continue with virtual events? Like, What do you see as the future for even just advocacy or fundraising events? The way I, I frame it in my mind is it's not necessarily something that may or may not continue. It's something that needs to just because we saw last year that creating that digital space, opening up the space to people who weren't necessarily able to physically access our organizations and our work in the past mm-hmm. is something that drove much greater impact. In particular, within disabled communities, it's often been the case that folks with disabilities feel excluded from the work of organizations when they have to physically be present. And a lot of it has to do with the way that our buildings, our transportation systems work and how inaccessible those are. Oh, Oh, God. I know. I live in Massachusetts where all the buildings are 100 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Houston and Mm. the transit system, it exists, but it's nowhere near as thorough as some other cities. And so... I think with that perspective in mind, it's a matter of figuring out what are the ways that we can build an authentic hybrid approach going forward, because there are some distinct advantages to having things in person, but it shouldn't come at the cost of the inclusivity that digital events and organizing have opened up. It should be a both and for sure. I love that. Okay. I love it. I agree. I completely agree. I think hybrid events are the well, not even the wave of the future. They're here, but like you just said, they should be staying. It's not yeah. an either or. So I did see on that platform, I don't remember the name of it, in Cause Camp. I can't <laughs> remember what they used. It was a fantastic platform. It was. And they will kill me for not remembering it, but it's fine. We, If I remember it, we can edit it in, I guess. But I saw your session. Um, it was early 2021 and it was really fantastic, very in-depth. And the focus was on showing nonprofits that they have the ability to run a flexible and expensive and empowering digital fundraising program. So can you tell us a little bit about what you shared in your presentation? Yeah. One of the things that we really try to emphasize for folks is that digital fundraising is one of many tools that organizations can use Mm -hmm. to drive the impact of their work. It's something that, you know, when you look at large nonprofits, large organizations, might seem very sophisticated and might seem very complicated. And for sure, there are organizations that can run those kinds of programs because they have teams of digital fundraising, communications, data people to help manage that. But we've seen, as an organization, ActBlue has seen nonprofits that are run entirely by volunteers develop really empowering programs that Mm. 
enable people from their community to invest in the work that those nonprofits are doing. And they're able to do that because to build a digital fundraising program, you need a way to get the word out Mm -hmm. that your organization is doing impactful work and that people can invest in that work. You need a way to process the contributions that people make. And then you also need to organize yourself a bit so that you can manage a list of people who are supporting your organization. Those are the very three basic principles that go into it. There's a lot of tools that help make that easier, but keeping in mind that it's fundamentally a program where you're talking to people and getting them engaged in your work is a reminder that it is something that is accessible to organizations of all sizes. Now, do you think that just because this is a question I get a lot, that organizations should have a dedicated person doing digital fundraising or should it be kind of baked into everyone's job description? It honestly will really depend on the organization. Mm -hmm. I have definitely seen small nonprofits that don't have a digital person specifically on board, but they'll integrate their comms person, they'll integrate their operations director, they'll integrate their accountant, their executive director into those conversations about how to manage the program. Digital fundraising does touch a couple different specialties. When you're talking to your community of donors about the need for contributing to your programs, that is a communications function. There is the finance function of you know planning out how you want to run your fundraising program and what needs your organization has that can be supported by that program. And then there is you know an organizing element, bringing your people to the table, talking to them about the importance of your work. That being said, you don't have to wear a specific hat to accomplish this work. It's just a recognition that it's something that's interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. And if you can bring on a digital person, that's great. It helps really strengthen the intentionality behind your program. Mm -hmm. But again, there are organizations that are entirely volunteer run by a single person who's doing everything and they manage incredible programs that, that still do great things. That's right. So I guess another question would be, what skills are required to do effective digital fundraising? Even if you're one person, if you're a team? You have to find a voice for your organization Mm -hmm. and the outreach that you do. A voice that connects with people in your community and communicates why contributing to your organization makes a difference. Folks who invest in nonprofits who, who are small dollar donors really care about a lot of things and they view donating as part of their activism, as part of their volunteering. And so if you can communicate how your organization is driving an impact, that goes a long way. Another thing that's important is to recognize that you're building relationships with your small dollar donors. And so that framework of relationship building, community building is important. There are a couple technical pieces that I I will say, you know, there are plenty of ways to figure them out and to learn these skills, you know, running a mass email program. There's a little bit of technical skills in that. Understanding how to manage a spreadsheet of donor information is something that is fairly easy to learn. And then at some point, you would also have to figure out how to how to use the fundraising platform that you're using. There's a little bit of technical skills related to that. And then from there, you can add on things depending on what kind of program you want. So if you really want to have a strong social media presence, You'll have to learn a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. If you want to organize events, you know, event planning is a whole skill set on its own. And so 
I will say the core of digital fundraising programs to this day is email fundraising. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask how you feel about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Email is still the primary driver for a lot of organizations. And so that is the number one skill that we recommend to folks to really reflect on and grow since it is what drives a lot of programs. But we saw last year, we're seeing this year that other pieces are growing in importance. And so Mm. if you can learn about other platforms, other means of communication and outreach, it just strengthens, strengthens the position you're in. Hey there. I'm interrupting this episode to share an absolutely free training that I created that's getting nonprofits of all sizes big results. Sure, you've been spending hours on social media, but what can you actually show for it? With all this posting and Instagramming and TikToking, does it really translate into action? In my free training, I'll show you exactly how to take people from passive fans to passionate supporters, and I'll give you specific steps to create social media content that actually converts. Head on over to nonprofitsthatconvert.com. Again, that's nonprofitsthatconvert.com and start building a thriving social media community for your nonprofit right now without a big team, lots of tech overwhelm, or getting stuck on the question, what do I do next? Let me show you how it's done. I can't wait to see what you create. What are some of the other platforms that you've seen that are really effective? So one thing that was actually kind of interesting to me in conversations was the growing importance of SMS fundraising. It's a very interesting space because I've seen it both from the fundra- from the fundraising side here at ActBlue, but also the organizing side when I worked on campaigns. But is it the same as text to give or that's different? Text to give in terms of... Could you clarify what you mean by that? Text to give, in my mind, it's you know text, the word fundraising to 33777 and you'll get $10 donated to the agency of your choice. It's very similar. The mm-hmm. I guess the distinction would just be that in the instances that I've seen, people have used a link instead of <gasps> yes. using like a code word specifically. What has been interesting though is it's a little bit different between whether you're asking people to do something with their time or whether you're asking people to invest, which exact method of SMS texting is most effective. One thing we've seen on the organizing side is that when your volunteers text people in the community about taking a particular action, Mm -hmm. that's really effective. That peer-to-peer relationship between the texter and the person you're reaching out to is a really trusted medium for, for, for getting folks to take action. When it comes to fundraising, though, we've actually seen that blast SMS, mass SMS programs have had a lot of success because when a text comes in from the organization, whether that's written by the executive director, a staff person, it communicates a sense of professionalism, a sense mm-hmm. of this is truly the organization of authenticity. Right. And that so trust. Yep. We've actually seen a lot of organizations find success in developing programs where they invite folks to give, you know, during big moments, maybe they're maybe the organizations in the news cycle or at particular critical points of the year. It's been a very interesting just because it's just two different worlds, whether you're asking folks to invest or whether you're asking them to to give their time. I have actually signed up for a lot of alerts, especially 
2016 and after and in the election cycle, signing up for alerts and sort of action events with my phone. And that would be just texting to sign up. I've never actually made a donation from my phone. Can you believe it? Oh, other than maybe social media, like on Facebook, you know, the two taps. <laughs> I've done that a bunch of times. Yeah. But yeah, so what do you think about social media fundraising? Is it growing? Is it what, you know, what's kind of happening? And also, I'd be really interested just while I have you here, what do you feel like the implications are for nonprofits ethically using social media, even being on the platforms or using them to fundraise? So on the first point, the way that we've seen it land in terms of how effective social media is for fundraising is it does really vary. There are definitely organizations who have a very large presence on social media. And so that following makes it possible for them to post a fundraising ask and receive a lot of follow through from folks in their community. What we've seen works for smaller organizations, though, is that social media can really be a place to show that your organization is responding to the needs of the community that are arising day to day. And so you can highlight maybe the impact of your latest food can drive. You can highlight the impact of a cleanup that your organization did in the community uh, around a, a specific creek. You can engage with your supporters and thank them for participating, for volunteering. It's really a powerful tool for building community and establishing longer-term relationships with people that are engaged with your work. It doesn't hurt to post fundraising asks. It really doesn't. It's it's um, investment, it's contributions that can come in that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. But we generally tell folks that it won't be the primary uh, way that folks find out about your organization and about giving just because it tends to, the way that the algorithms work, your tweet, your Facebook post won't always show up at the right time mm -hmm. for every single person. And so usually we highlight to folks Social media can be great for building that community and inviting folks to join your text or your email listserv so that they can get more direct notifications from you. Well, this leads me to my next question. What do nonprofits tend to get wrong around digital fundraising? And I think the number one thing I see is that they look at social media as an ATM <laughs> or just as a money spigot you can turn on and kind of post a link. But what are some other pitfalls nonprofits or you know, any mission-driven organization raising money online should avoid when it comes to digital fundraising? Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that if you're a nonprofit, you don't have to do everything that the larger organizations are doing. Mm -hmm. You can build a digital fundraising program that specifically meets your capacity and the needs of your organization, and that can still be a very successful program. And so that's why I was saying you know, email is the bread and butter for a lot of organizations especially organizations that have communities that have signed up for their newsletter, it can be a really accessible way to, to build out their program. But then again, there are organizations that primarily organize people through text message, WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, Instagram groups. Mm -hmm. And so keeping in mind that where you can meet the people that support your organization, that's the perfect place to start because yes. you're building off of what your organization already has. And maybe long-term, you develop some of these more sophisticated programs. But in the short term, those simple steps that you can take with what you already have can get your organization to a level that you're not at currently. Another thing that is important for nonprofits to really remember is 
the importance of building a recurring donor program. Mm -hmm. It's something that small dollar donors are investing more in. They really want to see organizations drive an impact. They want to sustain the work that good organizations are leading. And so more and more folks are contributing over the long term. And it might mean that instead of giving $100 today, they give $10 a month. But that stability of you know that this person's giving $10 a month, you know that this person is paying attention to to the work that you're doing means that your organization is better in the long run. Mm-hmm. And it's important to build out a recurring donor program, not only because of the stability that you'll financially receive for building out that kind of a program, but also because you, as I mentioned earlier, small mm-hmm. dollar donors don't see themselves as exclusively donors. Mm-hmm. They are volunteers in organizations. They are members of a community. They are people who have thoughts about policy change, about what their community needs, about the direction that we need to take as people. And so when folks invest long-term into your organization, sometimes maybe that's all they'll do, but more often than not, they'll do more. They'll spread the word about your organization, talk to their friends and family, they'll volunteer for your organization. And so a recurring program is one way to help engage folks more deeply with your organization. I think of the way we live our lives. Everything is a subscription. (laughs) So I just look (laughs) at my bank statement, New York Times, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. Everything is a subscription base that comes out of your bank account every month. Mm So I think that consumer behavior, donor behavior follows consumer behavior, or they're kind of Mm -hmm. interchangeable because donors are consumers. So I love what you said. It's just a more seamless and easier way for a lot of people to not even really think about it. And then also not have to say, oh my gosh, the end of the year when it's the holidays and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm worried about all these different things and I don't necessarily have $120, but I certainly have $10 a month that I can spread out over, over a year. Uh, Another question I have that I think a lot of people listening are going, they want an answer to, they want to ask me, but I'm not necessarily a younger person anymore. So (laughs) how can we get more younger people involved? What part does digital fundraising play? Yes. Yes. Very good question. I think part of it comes down to, again, meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like I'm part of the last couple years of millennials that really use Facebook. And to be fair, I feel like I use Facebook mostly just to check in with family. And it's not an app that I have on my phone anymore. I have siblings who don't have Facebook accounts, never thought about creating it. And I say that to remind us that people use different platforms to connect with their friends and family and to connect with the outside world. I have family members that don't have social media accounts, but they heavily use WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And if you can reach them on WhatsApp, then you have their attention. I know different family members of various ages, not just the younger ones, Mm -hmm. that are on TikTok Mm -hmm. and are engaging with content there and are learning and laughing on that platform. And so... I mentioned that because really, if you can find different ways to plug into different spaces authentically, mm-hmm. it's not simply about creating a TikTok account, oh, yeah. doing a dance video based off of one <laughs> of the trends and hoping to go viral. It's about finding something that feels genuine for your organization. 
and diversifying where you are present. In some spaces, in some ways, it's also about building relationships with trusted messengers. One thing, going back to the example of WhatsApp that um, really became popular last year is understanding that a lot of communities of color use WhatsApp as their group messaging system. It's where families plan events, where they update each other. It's used internationally. And so folks uh, in diaspora communities use it to keep up with the folks back home. Mm -hmm. And so connecting and engaging with people of different ages and then empowering them to spread the message of your organization is the way that eventually your message will be invited into those spaces. And so sometimes it's not about your organization itself, like your digital person themselves being in that space. It's about building enough of an authentic relationship with people who support your work so that they want to talk to their friends and family about it. Is That word of mouth is really powerful when it comes to nonprofits is what I wanted to emphasize. That just blew my mind slightly. (laughs) I just was taking notes. Your message will be invited into that space. It is not about getting on TikTok, creating an account for your nonprofit and trying to hammer home your message and your agenda. It's about connecting with people that want to spread the word about your message or having a really good message in the first place that will get invited into these spaces. That mindset shift to me is everything. I mean, it's completely critical for organizations to understand, especially right now, you can't just buy a billboard. You can't make people pay attention. You have to be invited. You have to be welcome. That's just fantastic. Thank you for that insight. Thank you. Well, I we could talk about digital fundraising. I'll have to have you on again. We talk about digital fundraising all day. It is my favorite topic. So I want to know more about how people can find you, get in touch. And I know you had talked about ActBlue having some trainings. So give us all the all the links. Yes, yes. So one way I, I guess that I did want to highlight is to go to our support page, secure.actblue slash charities. It is a very easy way to learn about the best practices that we recommend to nonprofit organizations to see how our tools can be leveraged by organizations and from there to be able to connect with our organization. I do want to highlight that our support at actblue.com email address is very quickly responded to. Everyone at the organization is tuned into it. And so you very quickly will get a response. The way our organization is structured, we do have people dedicated to specific issue areas. So like I said, I work specifically with democracy and civic participation groups. And so if that's the space that your organization is in, very quickly, you'll hear back from me. I also welcome folks to reach out on social media. I put my Twitter in the yes. in the notes. I'm fairly active there. A DM is always welcome. I think the the other thing that folks can look forward to is we do have a presence at different conferences. And so just be on the lookout to see if we have a specific training there. The other thing I'll plug is we do have a newsletter mm-hmm. where you can sign up to hear more about the best practices that we're recommending. And on the occasion where we do run an ActBlue-led training, you would find out about it there. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. And any speaking engagements on the horizon? Yeah, I put you on the spot. That's more just for me to know because I would love for, um, I would just love to see, do you speak again? 
Oh, myself speak again. I don't have any speaking engagements coming up just yet. Okay. I know. And I think we'll be hopefully all back in person, virtual, hybrid. Um, I would love to see that more of that happening this year. So, but I hope that we can connect at an event, but it was so wonderful having you here. Thank you so much. And really just keep kicking ass and, you know, making democracy work, protect. Thank you for protecting our democracy. (laughs) I'm just here to help the people that are doing that work. Yes. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Well, thanks so much for being here. And yes, everyone check out the Act Blue website, follow Santiago on Twitter. We will post all of this in the show notes. And if you have any questions, support at actblue.com. That's the place to go. Thanks, everyone. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then... You can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn.